0: 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, page 1129. Closer. That is the word of the year. That is the theme this year that we're focusing on as a congregation. Drawing closer to one another and drawing closer to the Lord. And the pastors and elders of the church uh, are are calling the church and inviting the church and welcoming the church this year to make it a year where we are finding intentional ways as a congregation to be closer to one another and closer to the Lord. And I introduced that theme last Sunday. I looked at, we looked at uh, John chapter 17, verse 21, if you were here, that was kind of the, kick-off uh, sermon for, for this year-long theme. And uh, Jesus prayed for this very thing in John 17. He prayed, Father, may they be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. Well, this Sunday, I want to take that theme a little further. And, and this is not so much a, a kick-off verse as it is to kick off the sermon series for the year. This year, uh, probably now through about... Uh, Probably into the spring, we'll be working our way through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, and and what a perfect book to go along with that theme, because Corinthians was written to a church that desperately needed to move closer. It was a very divided church that needed to move closer to one another, and as we'll see at a deeper level, they needed to move closer to the Lord as well. Uh, And and so we're going to work our way through Corinthians and really use this as a platform for thinking about that. And as Pastor Godwin mentioned just a few minutes ago, we also have these growth groups that are meeting throughout the week. Uh, Maybe from a church background that really didn't do small group Bible studies, you didn't grow up with that. Basically, a growth group is a place where uh, rather than meeting in church, people meet typically in homes five people, 10 people, 15 people, and they all gather together in homes and they study the Bible together, so it's a chance to actually break out of the the kind of the anonymity of the pew and meet together with other Christians and talk about God's Word and how it applies to our lives. I mean, you know, it's a place to ask questions. It's tough to ask a question in a church service like this. You know, you raise your hand and the pastor ignores you, and... um, you know, uh, so but you're in a in a house. You can say, "Hey, I don't get that. Or, I don't understand that. Or I've always had a pr- struggle with that. Or here's something I need prayer for." And and so in in a setting like that, in a growth group, we can really wrestle with those things. And not only that, but the growth groups are also a lot of them are going to be working through First Corinthians. So you can get a First Corinthians study guide and then study that with other people, and then come to church and study it as well. So that's kind of the idea. But as I said, Corinthians is a perfect book to think about what it means to be close as a community and close to the Lord, because this was a church that was struggling with that very thing. So let's look at 1 Corinthians this morning, and let me read the first three verses as we kick off this sermon series for the year, as well as the theme. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here is... A letter. We call this the book of 1 Corinthians. It's actually a letter. It's a letter to the Corinthians. And ancient letters were written differently than modern letters are written. You know, in modern letters, you start off with the person who's getting the letter, you know, dear grandma. Then you write the letter. And at the end of the letter is the person who sent it, Sent it. you know, your beloved grandson, Freddie, or or whatever it is. And that's how we write letters. In the ancient world, the structure was different. You started with the sender. So you started with this is who's sending the letter. Uh, Verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So here's Paul, one of the people called personally by Jesus to preach the gospel. And then the next thing you have in an ancient letter was you had the recipients to the church of God in Corinth. Let's stop and talk a little bit about that just to kind of put this book in historical perspective. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Corinth because that will help you understand this letter. And then I want to spend a lot bit of time talking about the church that was in Corinth. Okay? So let's, let's talk a little bit about the city of Corinth. Because it will, again, help you put this letter in a historical context. Uh, and so if you look in your bulletin, take out this little map. You should find one of these in your bulletin. This is a map of the uh, Mediterranean world in the time of the Roman Empire. And see if you can find Corinth on the map. It's right in the middle, right above Crete in southern Greece. Do you see it there? If you don't see it, nudge the person next to you. Hopefully they see it. There's Corinth. And just looking at this map, just looking at these pictures, you might be able to actually make some educated guesses about Corinth in the ancient Roman Empire. Because you'll notice there's sort of northern Greece, Macedonia, Achaia, the main part of Greece up north, and then there's the southern part of Greece, that little nub to the south there, and you'll notice there's a little sliver of land in between them, and the Corinth is right on that. Actually, at its narrowest part, that sliver of land is like four or five miles wide, and Corinth was right there on that little neck of land that connected northern Greece to, to southern Greece, right? Right? And, and that's important because that means it was in a strategic location. You know, location, location, location. Corinth had location. It meant that any of the commerce or traffic going overland north to south or south to north in Greece, went through Corinth. It also meant that there was also a lot of east-west traffic. You'll notice that to the west of Corinth, there's that bay that comes in. And then to the east of Corinth, there's a bay. So, so, what happened was that the people who were traveling by ship or transporting goods by ship, it, it, if they were, let's say they were in Italy, right, and you had a ship and you wanted to sell some stuff, and then you wanted to sell your stuff in Asia to the east, you got Greece in the way. How do you get around Greece? You got two options. Option one is to sail around the south of Greece, which actually would have taken an extra week And it was a very treacherous journey. There were really bad winds down there, kind of like our nor'easter today. So so it was a dangerous way to go. The other way you could get your goods from Italy to Asia or Asia to Italy is you could go to Corinth. It's a short little land bridge. You could dump your goods off there and they could be transported and then put onto another ship and then taken across. Uh, Or if your ship was small enough, they would actually transport your ship overland and then plop it in the ocean on the other side. So, So that there was all of this east-west commerce, as well as this north-south commerce. The result of all this, the upshot of all this, is that Corinth in Paul's day, when this letter was written, was a bustling, pulsing hive of economic activity. It was a very wealthy, financially vibrant place. There were goods coming in from east and west, north and south, and it all came right there in the middle to Corinth. We we know that this place was just, it was a boom town. It was a financial boom town. All the money that was flowing in and out of there, there were banks and there were traders and there were markets and there were, there's a huge service economy that that would serve the the traders and the ships that were coming in. People to fix ships and outfit ships and and inns and taverns and, you know, all that just to promote this, this bustling economy. When we think of ancient Greece, we sometimes think of Athens, right? Athens is ancient Greece. But at the time of Paul, the, the, the premier city was Corinth. It was one of the premier cities, even more than Athens. You know, one scholar put it this way. In, in the time of Paul, he, he described Athens as kind of a, a decaying, stuffy university town that had sort of lost its mojo. But Corinth was, was growing there was money there were people there there were there was actually also education there you know one of the things that was going on in corinth and i share this because this will help us understand the letter a little better but it was a it was sort of a destination spot for philosophers for Uh, speakers, for orators, for rhetoricians, and they would come to Corinth, because that's where the people were, and they would spin their philosophy and spin their sophistry and their oratory, trying to gain followers and and people who who would sort of support them and follow them. So it was a place not only of economic competition, but also kind of cultural competition and even oratorical competition. And people would come from all over the world to go to Corinth, and and in fact, archaeologists in digging through ancient Corinth, have found coins from all over the, the Mediterranean world. It was a very cosmopolitan city. Uh, one other fun thing about Corinth, it was a big sports town. You've heard of the Olympic Games. There were several games in Greece. The second, probably second most popular games in Greece were the Isthmian Games. And uh, they were every other year, and they were in Corinth. So every other year, all these people are pouring into Corinth for the Games. And I was just thinking about Corinth. I'm like, wow. Port City, Cosmopolitan, Financial Center, Lots of Learning, Sports Town. Hmm, sounds familiar. <laughs> sounds like another city that I've been to really near here, about 20 miles away. I not just made that connection. An interesting town. So no wonder when Paul launched on his second missionary journey and found himself in Greece that he made his way to Corinth and spent 18 months there as Godwin was just reading from, the, from Acts 18. That's why Godwin read Acts 18. It's the story of Corinth. When Paul got to Corinth, he spent 18 months there because what a strategic location for the gospel. What a perfect place to have a vibrant gospel witness so that the gospel could just be exported as people moved in and out and throughout the world. It was a logical place for a healthy, strong, and growing church. And so Paul planted a church there, and if you look on this map, you'll see all these arrows. This is the map of Paul's second missionary journey. His first missionary journey, he went up into Asia and then came back, what we call today Turkey, but back then it was the province of Asia. Well, his second missionary journey, he went to visit churches in Asia, but then God called him to cross the Aegean Sea and to go up into Macedonia and then work his way down the coast to Athens and then to Corinth. Corinth. And that's where he spent 18 months in Corinth, establishing the church there and preaching. And then after that 18 months, he left Corinth, but he didn't lose contact with Corinth. For the next couple years, Paul remained in constant contact with Corinth, a steady stream of communication. He would write letters, they would write letters, people would visit him because, again, this is a very dynamic place. People would visit him and give reports. He would send people to Corinth. You, you know, he, uh, he met this guy, Apollos, and was wowed with Apollos' ability to handle God's Word and to preach the gospel. And he said, Apollos, could you go to Corinth? And Apollos went to Corinth, and Apollos was teaching there. So, so even though Paul wasn't in Corinth this whole time for a couple of years, it, it was kind of like he was pastoring them from a distance. He was kind of shepherding and guiding this congregation from a distance. He, he kept a lot of strings to Corinth, and he was trying to influence and guide and help that church that he had started where he had been for 18 months. And so he writes to the church in Corinth, and, and the way he starts this letter is really fascinating. It's very interesting. Look what he says to the church in Corinth, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Interesting way to start the letter. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy or called holy ones. Called, in other words, to be the holy ones. The the Greek word for sanctified and the Greek word for holy actually come from the same root word. So you could translate this to, to the people who've been sanctified in Christ Jesus and to the people called sanctified ones, are called to be sanctified, um, th- to those who are, have been made holy in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. You've been sanctified in Christ, but you're also called to be those kinds of sanctified holy people. That's your calling in life. And as you read that interesting little thing that Paul says to him right off the bat, here's the question for you. Do you think that's an encouraging thing for Paul to say, or do you think that's a challenging thing for Paul to say? Would it be comforting for Paul to say that to the church, or would it be a little bit eh, a little bit nudgy, pushy? You know, which is it? Imagine uh, after the service today, uh, one of the pastors came up to you, or one of the elders, and, and we said to you, hey, uh, can we go out to lunch sometime? I just want to talk to you. And you'd be like, am I in trouble? Okay. Um, sure, you know. Um, so, so, we went out to lunch at, you know, Chipotle. I mean, you know, where else should we go? And, uh, And we're there at Chipotle, and we're doing a little small talk, and then at some point in the conversation, you know, you you say, okay, so what did you want to talk to me about? And imagine the pastor leaning across the table from you and saying, you know, you've been made holy in Jesus Christ, and he's calling you to be holy. How would you feel? Would you feel comforted in that moment, or would you feel a little bit convicted and challenged in that moment? Which one would it be? I mean, it would be weird, no question, but, but, you know, would you be comforted or would you be challenged? Probably a little bit of both. It's very comforting to be reminded that in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, I've been made holy. Christ has forgiven my sins. I, I am in him. I'm sanctified and set apart to God. But it's also a little bit challenging to have someone say, you know, you're called to be holy. Like, hmm, what does that mean? It means there's a little ways to go still. And so right off the bat, you, you get this interesting message already being telegraphed by Paul to this church in Corinth. And that, as a matter of fact, is who the church in Corinth was. They, they were people blessed by God in so many ways, but they were also a church that had some progress to make in holiness. God was calling the church of Corinth to be closer You know, they were in, they were his people, but they needed to move closer. They they needed more holiness, both closer to one another and closer to the Lord. That's where he was calling them. Or or to put it another way, the church in Corinth was a blessed mess. They were blessed, but they were still kind of a mess. It was a church that God had done a great work in, but they still had a calling to pursue and to, to, to progress in. They were a blessed mess. It's kind of the story of the Christian life, isn't it? We're all a blessed mess. When you become a Christian, you know, you've seen those old bumper stickers, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. You've seen those, you've seen those? It's kind of like that. We're a blessed mess. We've been saved. God's done a great work in our life. We've been set apart and made holy through the blood of Christ. And yet, there's still a ways to go. And that was certainly true in the church in Corinth. So in the following verses, verses 4 to 17, Paul talks about that. He talks about both the ways in which they've been blessed by God and the ways in which they still have room to grow, the ways in which they're still a mess. And as we look at these verses, I think we all as Christians and as a church see ourselves reflected in these verses. We're a blessed mess as well, this side of heaven. So let's just, in the time we have remaining, look at these, these verses. Let's look at verses 4 to 9, which describe the blessing of God on the Corinthians. And then let's look at verses 10 to 17, where Paul challenges them with the mess that they still are. But notice he starts with the blessing as he looks at this church. And he says, let me read these verses 4 to 9. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. Blessing. This church is great. God has blessed it. Paul starts off his whole letter, first thing he's got to say to this church, verse 4, is I thank God for you. I thank God for this church. Oh, I love this church, which is interesting because as you'll see, or if you have any familiarity with 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of things to be frustrated about with this church. And yet the first words out of his mouth, oh, when I think of you Corinthians, when you guys come to mind, whoo, I'm thanking God for this church. Thank you, God, for the Christians in Corinth. Why? because God had blessed them. Verse four, I thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, in Christ, you have been enriched in every way. You know, Corinth was not just a rich town financially. This church was a rich church spiritually. They've been blessed. It's kind of like Paul said, okay, I went to Corinth, and I watched as God backed the dump truck up of blessing. Beep, beep. And then, you know, and all these blessings have piled upon this church. God loves this church, and he's blessed it greatly. And so because of that, Paul's all fired up. I thank God for what he's done in Corinth. Like what? What kinds of blessings? Well, let me show you three. Here's three examples from these verses. Blessing number one, the blessing that the people believe the gospel that's a blessing that the Corinthians actually believe the gospel. Look at verse 5. You've been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. You believed. So, so Paul says, I came to Corinth, to this bustling town. I started preaching the gospel. And, and I was telling people, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be forgiven and saved. And that message was confirmed in you. You believed it and you were saved. And so the gospel came became to life, came to real in you. You believe the gospel. It's amazing. What a, what a miracle. It's like a miracle that you believe the gospel. Actually, it is a miracle that you believe the gospel. You know, we, we take this for granted sometimes, especially when you've been Christian for many years. You just think, well, of course I believe. Haven't I always believed? No. There came a point when God put faith into your heart. The, the fact that anyone believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord is a miracle. I mean, think about your life. Think about all the things in your life that should make it so that you shouldn't believe. There's your family upbringing. There's all the stuff that, that you were raised with. Even those of us who are raised in a Christian home, you know, we had imperfect Relationships with our parents that in some ways kind of get, can get in the way as much as help the way. We had bad experience in churches, bad experiences in childhood that distort our perspective on God. We were taught weird things in school. We read weird books. We heard brilliant college professors who dismantled belief in God as superstition. Right? We, we ran with friends who were running far away from God. We were addicted, we were into sin, we were part of the we lived in a world and a culture that was not pushing us to Christ. I, I mean when you when you look at it, it's amazing that anyone would believe this silly message that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, and that through faith in him we can believe. And yet here we are, we believe. Normal, smart, intelligent, common sense people believe this gospel. And Paul says, Miracle I can't believe you believe. It's God's grace. God's grace has been poured out on you because you've come to believe in Christ. You know, don't don't lose sight of the wonder of that. But it's not only that. It's not just that God blessed them by bringing them to faith. God has continued to bless them. Verse 4. Sorry, verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Spiritual gifts is a topic that will come up in 1 Corinthians later in chapters 12 to 14. But suffice to say right now that that church was blessed with spiritual gifts. People, there's all kinds of stuff happening there. People were speaking in tongues. People were having prophetic words from God and they were sharing it with each other. People were doing miracles. You know, this was not some stodgy, stuffy church where the people just kind of shuffled in on Sunday and tried to stay awake through the service and then sort of shuffled home, and that was the extent of church. No, no. People were serving and ministering and using their gifts to bless each other. This was like a, a, a bustling hive of spiritual activity, kind of like the city of Corinth itself. And Paul says, wow, God has blessed you with spiritual gifts. This is remarkable. Maybe even more than other churches that he had seen planted. God blessed them in so many ways. But not only that, look at the last blessing. So, first blessing is that they believe that the testimony was confirmed in them. Number two, that that, that God's continuing to give them spiritual gifts in this church. And then here's the third one. God is going to get you across the finish line. There's the third blessing. Verse 8, He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. God will make sure that all those whom he has saved will cross the finish line. You know, if you're truly born again, God's going to get you there despite yourself. Because God always finishes what he starts. You know, truly saved people can't be lost. Impossible. Because God, you can't beat God. God is just, he's bigger than that. He's bigger than us. He's bigger than my own propensities. And he's like, God is faithful. God is strong. He's gonna get you there. So as Paul's looking at this church, a church which has lots of problems as we're gonna see in a minute, he's so excited. He's so thankful because he says, oh, I look at you and the first thing I see is grace. I see grace just by the fact that you believe, I see the grace of God as he's continuing to work in your church, and I see grace because I know that what started is going to get finished because of who God is. It's awesome. So much grace in this church, and Paul gives thanks. And you know, brothers and sisters, we need to always keep this attitude cultivated in our heart of thankfulness for the grace of God that we see in other Christians and that we see in the church. We've gotta stay thankful. We've gotta always keep in view the grace that God is working out in each other's lives. Because here's the thing. This is the problem with this whole closer theme. Okay, this, you know, many potential problems. Here's one of the potential problems. Is that as you get closer to one another, you're actually gonna start to become disappointed by one another. You know, it sounds great. Let's all get closer. Really? Are you sure you want to? It's so easy to admire the church from afar. It's so easy to admire pastors and leaders and other Christians from afar. But when you get up close and really get involved in each other's lives, prepare to be disappointed. I I call it the uh, Wizard of Oz moment. I've I've talked about this before, but you know that part in the Wizard of Oz where Dorothy and her group were in front of the wizard and he's like, oh, I am the great, powerful Oz. And they're going, Aah. right? And then Toto goes over, and Toto grabs the curtain, and Toto pulls the curtain back, and they suddenly realize that the Wizard of Oz isn't an all-powerful wizard, but it's just some old guy working a machine and twisting knobs and things. And, and, and the wizard realizes they see him, and he, and he says, uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Right? And there are these Wizard of Oz moments in life. When you're a teenager, you have the Wizard of Oz moment where I don't know when it happens, but someday you wake up and it dawns on you that your parents actually aren't perfect, don't have all the answers, actually have lots of mistakes. And, and you go through that phase of realizing, well, like, wow, my, my parents really aren't everything that I thought that they were when I was younger. Um, and you have to work through that as a young adult. There's also that Wizard of Oz moment in churches, where you... You have certain people on a pedestal, or you have a certain church on a pedestal, but then you have experiences that expose the flaws and the weaknesses, and that. that's a very fragile moment when you first have that happen, and you go, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I knew they weren't perfect, but wow, that's even worse than not just perfect. I mean, that's like a mess. <laughs> wow, they're a mess. Wow, the church is a mess. Whew. You know, oh, for the days when I just sat in a church service and I wasn't involved. Oh, those were the days when I could just listen to a sermon and then go out to lunch and critique the sermon, and then go home and watch football, and then not have to do anything till the next Sunday, where I could just sit and just be a kind of a consumer of church, but then I, then I made this dumb mistake. I said, well, you know, maybe I should get involved. Oh, stupid me. And then I got involved, and that's when I started getting disappointed because I started to realize that, oh, there's problems here. And so it's easy, and this happens all the time, to become cynical, sarcastic, bitter, dismissive, Critical, hypercritical, looking down your nose and picking at all the problems in other Christians and in the church. And, and you just can get into that mindset once you see it. And, and, and that's a danger. The danger is you've stopped using the glasses of the gospel to see the church. And you've stopped seeing all of the amazing things that God is doing. You're looking at brothers and sisters, and yeah, you're seeing the problems and faults, but you're not seeing the grace that's underneath those problems and faults. And and I'm not calling us to kind of a a rose-colored way of looking at each other in the church or that we can't find problems or point out things. That's coming in a minute. We're talking about the mess. Paul talked about the mess. He didn't hide it. But it was in the context of grace. He, He said, I'm amazed at what God is doing here. And it's so important that we in the church keep that that vision of grace with each other. I mean, think for a minute about the person who most irritates you at South Shore Baptist Church. You find that, per- maybe that was easy. Maybe you're like, I'm looking at him. Um, <laughs> like, wow, there he is. Uh, th- think about the person who's most, dis- maybe someone's disappointed you, An- another person who truly is a Christian, who's really disappointed you. Imagine that person died tomorrow. And you're like, hmm, that's kind of nice. Did I say that? yeah. Imagine they died, and then you were to see them the day after that in in heaven. They were to come and visit you. I tell you, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship them if you didn't know better. You, you would be in awe at the glory of that person who had finally made it across the finish line. That person that you're kind of like, oh, they just drive me crazy. Like when you, when they finally reach. Fullness in Christ on the last day and at the resurrection. If you if you didn't know them, you would think they were Christ. You would fall down to worship them. Their glory will be so great in the Lord. People, th- th- this is amazing what God is doing here in this in our midst. But it's easy to lose sight of it and become bitter. You know, it's like uh, I was thinking. It's kind of like a baby when a baby is first born, and when I say firstborn, I'm talking like within like a minute of the birth. Okay, like when they're really gooey, and there's like stuff, like and membranes, and just goo, and you know, it's you know, and their head is like, and you know, and the baby's like, you know, it's like, oh, what, the, what is that, you know? It's gross. It's a mess. But it's a miracle, right? It's a life, and it has. It's got to clean it up, and it's got a lot of growing up to do. But bottom line, it's a life, and, and that's what we have to remember in the church. We've got to put on those gospel glasses, and as we look at each other, and we see the mess, and we see the, the immaturity, and the you know, and the neediness, and the frustration of growing up in Christ. We've got to you know say, first of all, thank you, God, born again life. New creation, gonna grow up to be one of the mighty saints of the kingdom. Wow! 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 You know, we gotta always guard that wonder toward one another. Because if you don't, you won't ever be able to get closer. Because you'll start to get closer, you'll start to see the warts and the flaws, and you'll go, "I'm out of here!" Right? And and you'll you'll either pull back from the church or you'll leave and go to another church and then go into that church and get disappointed or go in the other church but just stay a spectator or something but you'll never get closer and and the only way we can get closer to one another is if that that process of getting closer is guarded by the gospel and saturated by grace and we always have to keep that mentality of wow god is saving a people and it's amazing it's amazing what a blessed church. Oh, so many blessings, so much blessing, and what a mess. That's the other side of it. Woo, this church was messed up. They were just a, they were a dumpster fire, this church. Look at verses 10 to 13. Paul switches gears now. He goes from all this like, wow, look what God is doing to, okay, but seriously, we got to talk because, woo, uh, yeah, this is bad. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this: One of you says, "I follow Paul, another. I follow Apollos, another. I follow Cephas, still another. I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified before you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say you were baptized into my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. This was a messed up church. Lots of divisions. They, they had, they were acting like Corinthians. They were treating the, the apostles and Paulos and Paul and all these guys as if they were the, the visiting sophists and the visiting orators and they were lining up behind their favorite talking head and parties and factions were starting. This was a very divided church. That needed to draw closer, but it wasn 't just on that issue. you read through Corinthians and again and again the issue of division comes up so for instance, go to chapter eight, look at chapter eight, chapters eight through ten there was divisions there were divisions in this church over the issue of how to relate to idolatry and food that was sacrificed to idols that was then resold in the marketplace? How, how do Christians relate to idolatry? And some of the Corinthians were like, nah, you stay completely away from it. And other Corinthians were saying, hey, look, I'm free in Christ to do what I want. And so there was, there was division over those kinds of issues. How, how to deal with the, the pressures of the culture, the, the gray fuzzy stuff that we all have to deal with as Christians. And they were fighting over that, dividing over that. Chapter 11 Verse 17, Paul takes him to the woodshed on, Baptist, on, the, on the Lord's Supper. Wow, there's real divisions there. Right? That's an ugly, ugly little moment. Chapters 12 to 14, divisions over the spiritual gifts. Rather than the spiritual gifts being used to bless the church, they had become opportunities for self-promotion and self-advancement, just like the, the rest of Corinthian culture. Right, so again and again, we're going to see a lot of problems. And in some ways, First Corinthians is kind of like a flea market of problems. But especially overarching is the major problem of division and, and brokenness. And then, when it comes to the things they should be dividing over, they won't divide. Check it out. Look at chapter 5. Go back to chapter 5. So chapter 5, Paul hears that there's some guy who's sleeping with his stepmom. It's like Jerry Springer. What? And they won't kick him out of the church. You know, the guy's like living in blatant, obvious, no bones about it sin. Everyone knows, and no one does anything about it. It's like, well, it's okay. We don't want to judge people. And we want to accept each other, and we're all sinners, and we all struggle. Like, really, you're all with your stepmom? Seriously? Like, get rid of the guy. He's he's like poison in your church. And so Paul's calling for them to excommunicate to church discipline so that the guy might repent and come back to his senses because he's not listening to anyone else. So the things that they shouldn't divide over, they're divided over. And the one thing that they should divide over by excommunicating someone, they won't divide over. What a messed up church. This thing is a disaster. But it's even deeper than that. It's not just the divisions, because in some ways I think the divisions and the fights and the issues in Corinth are kind of just symptoms, but there's a deeper disease, and the disease is not just that they're not getting along with each other. That's the symptom. The disease is down deep. They haven't really grown close to the Lord, and his gospel really hasn't transformed them enough. That at a deep down level, at the level of their values and their attitudes, they're still thinking like Corinthians, they're not thinking like Christians. That's the deep down issue. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. One of the basic rules of biblical interpretation is if you see a phrase repeated a lot in a short period of verses, a short stretch of verses, it's probably something that's important. And here's this phrase: the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how many times Paul emphasizes the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse two: All who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Verse three: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seven: Therefore, we do not lack any spiritual gift, as you eagerly wait our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Verse eight. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God who called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. So that by the time he gets to the mess in verse 10, it's loaded. He's loaded this phrase up. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So at a deeper level, they have lost sight of the lordship of Christ over their thinking and over their attitudes and over their values. The reason they're having fights is because down deep they've drawn away from the Lord. They've drawn away from one another because they've drawn away from the lordship of Jesus. And he's calling them to a way of life that is fundamentally programmed by the gospel and the lordship of Jesus Christ. Not a way of life fundamentally programmed by the cultural attitudes in which they live. And so Corinth, the, the book of Corinthians will keep addressing problems, and this is the move that Paul makes again and again in Corinth in this letter. He keeps taking them down to this deeper issue of the gospel and of the lordship of Jesus. You know, when we think of the gospel, I say to you, you know, what's the gospel? Some of us think of the gospel, it's kind of like, yeah, that's, that's that message about Jesus dying on the cross and rising again that you believe in in order to become a Christian, the start of the Christian life. Or maybe you think the gospel, yeah, that's the thing that promises me eternal life when I die. But what I want you to see and what Paul wants us to see is that the gospel is also what programs and shapes the rest of our Christian life between when we are saved and when we finally die. The whole Christian life should be gospel-shaped. That's what the Corinthians were missing They were Corinthian shaped in their mind, Corinthian shaped in their attitudes, Corinthian shaped in their outlook, rather than being shaped by the gospel. They needed to press closer to Jesus in their hearts and in their mind, rather than being like the culture around them. They were they were still a mess. Not just interpersonally, but in their hearts. Whew, a mess. It's a tough book in that way. And you know what? We're still a mess too. I'm a mess. You're a mess. You know, we're all still sinners. Yeah, Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, and the Holy Spirit has broken the power of sin, but this side of heaven, we still wrestle with sin. And the longer you're a Christian, the more it surprises you how deep and pervasive that sin is in your life. And you think like, oh yeah, I got it beat. I became a Christian and I stopped swearing. Woo, okay. You know, but then you're a Christian a little longer and you're like, oh, it's more than just stop swearing, isn't it? It's actually the way I think about people or it's really, it starts getting really deep. My attitudes toward success and, and my attitude and the way I look at people and, and boy, I'm so selfish. I'm even more selfish than I realized and, and the gospel just keeps sinking deeper in and you go, whew, there's a lot of work to do inside of me. And the longer you're a Christian, and the more you progress in holiness, the more you realize you have to progress in holiness. And that's just part of the, the Christian experience. So we have to affirm that we're a mess. And, and, and that's important. It's really important in the Christian life. You've got to hold on to both, right? I'm blessed, but I'm a mess. And if you let go of blessed, well, then it's cynicism and despair and criticism and hopelessness because I'm a mess. No, 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 you're blessed. Jesus died for you. He's going to get you across the finish line. He's got resources for you now to keep you going. You're blessed. But if you let go of the mess and we deny that, that's a problem too. Because then you've got that kind of superficial, shallow Christianity where everyone's blessed. You know, how are you? Blessed. How are you doing? Great. I'm super. You know, I've, I've kind of arrived. You know. Look at me, I'm fine. Right? And and, and we, we, we don't expect to to push one another and for the word of God to push us further in holiness and godliness. Because hey, I'm great and you're great and aren't we all great and let's just go home because we're such a great people. But when you hold on to both, when you say we're blessed, but oh, we're still such a mess, it, it opens up the door to... to Look at those things in our lives. And, and my prayer is that as we go through 1 Corinthians, that 1 Corinthians is going to expose the mess within South Shore Baptist Church. That's what I hope happens. That may sound a little aggressive, like like I've got some agenda here and there's something Jeremy's always wanted to get off his chest and now he's going to use the Bible to... Passive aggressively lay it on you. Hmm. I don't know what it is that First Corinthians is going to show each of us. I don't I'm telling you, I don't really have an agenda. I'm just giving you fair warning. God's word has an agenda. Jesus has an agenda. First Corinthians has an agenda. And so I'm kind of with you. I'm sort of like, okay, here we go. All right. I don't know what it's going to show me, but it's going to show us some things. And so I'm praying that First Corinthians will do. Uh, a purifying, reprogramming, rebuilding, further holiness kind of work in our congregation. That the mess will come to life. Then in the next couple months, God will do that painful work of showing you some areas of mess. In your soul, and in your family, in your marriage, and your friendships, in your growth group. Wherever. Where God is going to use his word to, to keep us growing forward. And that sounds a little scary, but it's actually a wonderful thing. You know, if you think about it, when you hold the blessed and the mess together, that is the safest place in the world to deal with the mess. Because no matter what comes out of the mess, what do I know? I'm already forgiven. What else do I know? He's going to get me across the finish line. What else do I know? He's sending people into my life now to help me with their spiritual gifts. And so it's the safest, most hopeful place to deal with the mess. Because you know it's all going to be okay. And, and so I, I think we as a church should, should just be more open and more fearless. It's like, what, what are you going to point out in me? Sins and flaws and failures and disappointments in Jeremy. What, what are you going to point out in me, right? I already know that whatever you say to me, it's actually worse than what you see. And I already know that God sees everything that's worse in me. And he forgave me. And he's going to get me across the finish line. So go ahead. Point it out. Point out the mess. I'm in the perfect place to hear it because I'm surrounded by grace. Grace gives a safe place to deal with sin and lack of holiness in our lives to keep pushing us forward. So bring it on. Let's let the work of Corinthians go it's going to be painful sometimes but may God do this deep work in us once upon a time there was a little house it was a cape it was falling apart it was old and rotten and termite ridden and there was black mold down in the basement down cellar there was uh, the place was it was it was so bad no one could live there The town had put a big sign on the front door saying condemned. It was just a matter of time before the town was going to go in and and flatten this house. And one day, someone drove by. He decided to buy the house. That person who bought the house just happened to be the king. The king bought the house for an exorbitant price, a price that no one would ever be able to match. And he got the deed, and the house was his. And he he not only bought the house, but he moved into the house. And he said, this house is my new home. This shall be my palace from which I shall reign. And the house looked at him funny, and the house said, are you serious? I I don't look like a palace. And the king said, yeah, I know, totally. (laughs) But when I'm done with you, you're going to look like a palace. And the house said, no, you're just going to flip me, right? You're one of those real estate flippers. (laughs) No, never going to sell you. I bought you. I paid a high price for you, far more than you're worth. I bought you, and I'm going to fix you up. And when I'm done with you, you're going to look like the most amazing palace. And he goes, no. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. Well, It's gonna hurt a little. What do you mean? Well, let's start right here at this wall. It's coming down. No, not that wall. That's my favorite wall. It's got to come out. Oh, that hurts. Let's go. And so this is the Christian life: is this incredible inside-out remodeling work, where the King of Kings has come to dwell in us. He's purchased us. He lives in us individually and corporately as His bride corporately as his corporate temple. Jesus is living here. He's never going to let us go. And what he starts, he always finishes. But it's going to (laughs) hurt. It's going to hurt. But it's good. We're blessed. We're a mess, but that's okay. And so Paul writes to this church, and he writes to our church, and through his word speaks to our church, I should say. He tells us about this God who loves to take violent jihadists and turn them into the Apostle Paul. And he loves to take dirty tax collectors like Matthew and turn them into gospel men. He loves to take filthy prostitutes and turn them into his blessed bride. That's what our God does. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I thank you this morning for South Shore Baptist Church because you have enriched this church in every, every way. Lord, your testimony has been confirmed here. In in Massachusetts, of all places, your testimony is being confirmed. It's a miracle. Lord, your spirit is at work here. Lord, you're going to finish what you started in these people. It's amazing. Oh, God, thank you for the blessings of your work here at South Shore Baptist. And Lord, we now lay before you the mess that is within our own church, within our own hearts, even mess that we don't see yet that you're gonna take the cover off and expose. Lord, I pray that you would, that you'd purify us and make us holy. And Lord, don't give up on us. We pray that you'd keep working. We pray that this would be a church that was very real and honest about what you're doing in our lives, that we would be done with the facade and the plasticness and would be real people who are really being changed by your Spirit. Oh, God, surround us with grace and help us to be honest about the rest and to make progress, Lord. I pray that this time next year we would have made progress, that you will have done some more renovations in us, as painful as it may be. Oh, Lord, do this work at South Shore Baptist and in our hearts. Do this work in my heart, I pray, in Christ's name, amen.